Christchurch, New Malden, 24th of November 2019, 9.30 service. Becky Mills speaking on Keeping the conversation going when we feel abandoned by God. Keeping the conversation going when we feel abandoned by God. If you were here last week, you might remember Tim's health warning about Psalm 88. Yes, it is the darkest psalm in the Bible. And that accolade is well and truly deserved. In fact, Psalm 88 has even been called an embarrassment to conventional faith. In it, we find the desperate cry of someone who's shouting at a wall of silence. The the psalmist finds himself in the deepest darkness of abandonment and despair. God stays silent, but not the psalmist. Even when he's confronted with the reality of death, death he feels is caused by God, he sticks to his protest. And tragically, he's met with yet more silence. The psalmist is ignored, snubbed, shunned, and rejected. The last word he speaks is, darkness is my closest friend. What is this psalm of lament doing in the Bible? What can we do with this complete silence and this bottomless pit of darkness? What does it say about the life of faith? What should our response be when we're faced with a dark night of complete and utter desolation? Well, hurting people will not get help if they're passive and silent. I myself tend to internalize hurt and anger and think that if I suppress it, I'm I'm somehow dealing with it, telling myself it's not important, that it isn't worth dwelling on, that I'm getting things out of proportion. Perhaps this sort of scenario is familiar to some of you. Is anything wrong? You're asked. No, I'm just tired you say, when underneath the surface you're working up a real head of steam about some grievance or other. It took me years to be able to talk about feelings of hurt. But the pain we all experience must be processed, not denied. Otherwise it bubbles away under the surface or it gets siphoned off into feelings of guilt, anxiety and depression. Pain must be addressed to God because speech breaks the despair. That's the first step in the whole process of recovery. That's the beginning of the conversation. It invites the God of all hope to be present. It's saying to God, I'm at the end of my tether, do something. It draws God into the trouble. And this isn't a sign of unbelief. Whether we realize it or not, when we pray, we're showing our belief that God is moved by our prayers. Otherwise, why would we make requests to God at all? If we seriously believe that God is unmovable, then prayer is nothing more than a desperate cry in the darkness. It offers no hope, no consolation, no response. But we believe in a personal God 
a God who's in the middle of the traffic of human activity and pain, a God who is full of love for us, who jealously guards us and is faithful to his promises to us. He's not a remote, impassive deity. It's a two-way relationship. The people who are closest to us have quite an impact on us, perhaps without us realizing. Think of the four or five people you see most in your everyday life and, and think about how you're influenced by their thoughts, their feelings and actions. God is affected by the people he's in a close relationship with. This helps us understand what it means to pray. God is intimately involved in all our pain and distress, whatever that may be. Just like an angry toddler beating, beating at his parents' chest, we're venting our pain and our anguish within the safe boundaries of a relationship of mutual love and trust. In our struggling, in our wrestling with God, there are no holds barred. Nothing, nothing is off limits. So let's look at Psalm 88 itself that we heard read earlier. The writer is said to be Heman. His father was Korah, a court musician and seer of the future. Perhaps Heman's chronically ill and close to death. No specific enemies are mentioned, nor any guilt due to sin. Possibly the psalmist has been ill since his youth and lives outside the city gates as an outcast. Although there are many other situations of distress that would fit the language. Most psalms of lament take us through the memory of comfort that is past, the pain of now, and the hope of what is to come. They take us from pain to praise, but not Psalm 88. The writer is in danger of being swamped by the pain of now. He feels abandoned by God. It's the cry of someone who only has the tiniest fragment of hope. There's no praise at the end and very little memory of comfort at the beginning. But, but perhaps this is a truer reflection of our experience of pain and despair. Extreme anguish doesn't disappear in the space of saying a prayer, does it? In verse 2, the psalmist says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. God has a long history of rescue. Forceful commands and provocative questions would be unthinkable if they were not based on God's power to act and his historic commitment to his people. It's obvious that the psalmist finds himself in the middle of a terrible crisis. He cries out to God day and night continuously. This is no polite, softly spoken prayer, but the heart-wrenching cry of someone who's reached the end of his tether, who feels abandoned by God. In the middle of abject misery, he clings to God with desperate hope. In verses 3 to 5, the psalmist is standing face to face with the ultimate darkness. His life is ending. He's on the brink of death. 
He compares himself with those who are already in their graves. The dead have been cut off from God's hand. They're no longer in his presence or even in his memories. Cut off and abandoned by God, the psalmist goes even further. In verses 6 to 8, the psalmist accuses God of being responsible for his distress. God has placed him in the depths of the pit, in the deepest and darkest regions of the underworld. Why has God done this? There is no mention of sin, yet God has let loose his rage on the psalmist, crushing him underneath waves of his fury, leaving him utterly helpless. The psalmist has become an outcast. People are revolted at the sight of him. He's shut in, thrown into a dark pit from which there is no escape. His sorrow is overwhelming, pressing so hard on him that his eyes are growing dim, suggesting that he's passing over into the realm of death. I call to you every day. Every day I spread out my hands to you. How can God's love, faithfulness and righteous deeds be expressed in darkness, death and destruction, he asks. The psalmist wants to praise God while it seems God has done everything to make that impossible. With God's silence roaring in his ears, the psalmist's lament gathers more momentum. In verse 13, he's crying out to God, seeking him in the morning. The morning was the time for new beginnings and the time that God was expected to show his faithful love to his people again. With renewed desperation, the psalmist refuses to let go of God, even though he's ignoring him. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? He cannot understand why God stays silent and snubs him. The psalmist starts again with his accusations against God. His suffering has been since his youth. He's been close to death for a long time. He's helpless under the weight of the terrors God inflicts on him. The psalmist is drowning in dark waters. There's no one left to support him. God has driven away all his loved ones and his companions. No one is there for him. He's completely and utterly alone. He has one friend left, darkness. And the psalm draws to a close. <laughs> so, what does this psalm have to say about the life of faith? What should our response be when we're faced with a dark night of complete and utter desolation and feel abandoned by God? The psalm provides a good dose of realism. Life is unpredictable. Life can be extremely harsh and filled with suffering. In Psalm 88, faith faces life as it is. The psalm shows that the experience of darkness also has its place in the life of faith. Suffering and loss are part and parcel of our human existence. Psalm 88 may appear to indicate a loss of faith, but in fact it does the opposite. 
When we continue to speak to God, when he keeps silent, it's an expression of bold faith. Someone who has lost his or her faith would stop praying, choosing not to address God, thinking his silence is proof that he doesn't exist. Here we find the psalmist reaching to God's silence, uh, sorry, reacting to God's silence with intense prayer. The conversation still continues. God is still addressed. Even when God is silent, even only when darkness is left. Although his prayer provides no answer, it only leads to more troubling questions. He keeps on praying. This is faith, the pouring out of one's pain and hurt and bitterness and experiences of darkness and abandonment before God, even when he doesn't answer, even when you feel he's kind of responsible for all the pain and suffering. The psalmist prays and keeps praying, even though everything in him screams that God doesn't care, God isn't interested. That's a tremendous witness to faith, isn't it? Psalm 88 may be the darkest psalm in the Psalter, but it isn't relentlessly bleak. The psalmist is still addressing God, still talking about his relationship with him. He calls him the God who saves me. He believes praise is the norm and wants to return to it. He talks about God's qualities, his love, his faithfulness, his righteousness, and his wonderful works. The psalm shows that it's part of a believer's experience that they will suffer from feelings of abandonment and despair. The psalm moves beyond a safe pattern of lament that usually ends with something positive, like a vow to praise or a confession of trust in God. There's no praise at the end. And that's why Psalm 88 is the most human of all the psalms. It allows someone badly let down by God to keep the conversation going. This psalm is for when we feel engulfed by grief or swamped by pain and anguish. Because God is committed to sorting out the pain and mess of human life. And that's why we can keep the conversation going. How many of you have been watching the new series of The Crown? Just the two of us. <laughs> the one that, that really captured my heart uh, was the episode about the Aberfan disaster. This was the catastrophic collapse of a colliery tip on the 21st of October 1966. The waste from the local mine had been dumped on a mountain slope above the Welsh village of Aberfan over a natural spring. A period of heavy rain led to a build-up of water inside the tip, which caused it to suddenly slide downhill a slurry, killing 116 children and 28 adults as it engulfed the junior school and other buildings. The Crown dramatises the build-up with one class of children who were rehearsing the hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful, for their homework, for the assembly on that terrible day. 
and 116 children never got to sing all things bright and beautiful for assembly because they were smothered by the slurry which came thundering down the mountainside just before assembly. The parents and families must have been in the darkest place imaginable. The poignant archive images of the flowers assembled in a massive cross on that bleak Welsh hillside and the whole community broken by this tragedy gathered together singing Jesus lover of my soul is truly heartrending. Here are some of the words. Jesus lover of my soul let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll while the tempest still is high, hide me, O oh my Saviour, hide, till the storm of life is past. Other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, O oh leave me, not alone, still support and comfort me. These words are so like the psalmist, because hanging on to faith by a thread, they express the complete desolation and abandonment of terrible loss. Pain must be addressed to God. We can all identify with the pain of loss. It's a shared human experience. But it isn't just the experience of loss which breaks us. It's chronic illness, poor mental health, fractured relationships, and all sorts of other heartbreak. Psalm 88 teaches us that even through the blackest times, we can still trust in a God of love and faithfulness to come through for us. Psalm 88 is the most human of psalms because it doesn't follow a neat pattern of moving from lament to praise in the course of one prayer. Life isn't like that. Life is messy, not neat. We will all experience times of desolation when we feel God is abandoning us. Hang on in there like the psalmist. During the bleakest times in our lives, don't close down the conversation. Even if you can't possibly at that moment see a way ahead out of the mess, even if your instinct is to withdraw and keep silent, keep that conversation going with our God who saves and rescues. Amen. <laughs>